Good morning, Athens Christian Reformed Church. It's good to be here uh, this morning. I was, uh, I was hoping for a Sunday off, <laughs> but that's, that's okay. I've been preaching since January, and it's been a, it's been a great, um, it's been a delight, actually, to be at uh, so many different churches. Um, I've been filling in for Kempful Christian Reformed Church um, while they await uh, Pastor Sid Yipma from, uh, from Ottawa Campus Ministry, and uh, he's going to be their, their new pastor in Kempful. So I'm filling in till about June, uh, about twice a month. So that's good. I've been up in Calvin, a um, couple uh, small churches, Cane Town Presbyterian Church. I filled in there a couple times, and also uh, Westport Knox Presbyterian Church. And it was just delightful to see just a um, just a variety of, of different people. And it's amazing when you get talking to them, the connections. And someone knows someone that knows someone that. Like, everybody's connected when you get talking to them, and uh, that's an amazing thing. This morning, we're going to preach on Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, and uh, it's, uh, well, I was going to say it's a mystery, it's a mystery box, right? It wasn't in the bulletin what I was going to preach on, but it's going to be Jonah, Jonah 1. I'm going to start out by reading the first chapter, and it's based on Jonah chapter 1. So let's read uh, the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amitti, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. My eyes are still good enough, I can read this. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down and... He went down and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots. And the lot, of course, fell to Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work will you do? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? You see, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea grow calm? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, 
Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Thus far the reading of God's word. Amen. I think everybody knows the story of Jonah. Maybe from Veggie Tales, possibly. I can't say our kids watched a lot of Veggie Tales. It was Barney. We had a lot of Barney in our house when the kids. Always a favorite in Sunday school class. It's short, it's four chapters, it's full of images, ships breaking apart on the high and stormy sea, whales swallowing preachers. Plants growing large enough overnight to shade a person, but then a worm coming the next day to kill the plant. You see, the story of Jonah being swallowed by a fish is pretty bizarre. But there was a recent episode. I, I had to Google this, right? And, uh, and so I did, and there, there was a guy that was caught in the mouth of a humpback whale just for a few seconds. And believe it or not, he survived, and it wasn't for three days. But there was a scuba diver that also testified to that because he himself was caught in the mouth of a humpback whale. And there's even a picture online. I don't know how true it is, but you can see something. And also, big whales go around with their mouths open, right? And they swallow up krill, so it's not all that fanciful, I don't think. But second, many people, even believers, feel that Jonah is fictional. Because the story seems a little fishy. Well, what can I say? It's a dad joke. How could it be possible for a big fish, I'm not sure if it was a whale or a fish, to swallow a person and, be, and someone to be in there for three whole days? Unlike the two stories that I mentioned. However, if this story is fictional, then I guess we're going to have to reject all the other supernatural events that are just as strange. Think about the plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, Elijah going up to heaven in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire. There's numerous examples of, of these extraordinary miracles that Jesus did. Just told his disciples to go down, catch the first fish they find. There'll be a coin in its mouth and go and pay your taxes. The multiplying of the few fish and the loaves of bread. I'm not here to convince you this morning that this story is possible, but we trust God's word by faith. Just the fact that there are such things as fish and whales and, and just the amazing creatures that they are shows that that in itself is a miracle. But today's lesson is about disobedience. But more importantly, it's about God's power and his love and his compassion toward us, even when we are disobedient. So I think we're really going to have <laughs> a whale of a good time studying Jonah 1 together. <laughs> My kids told me not to say that. <clears throat> God, God asked Jonah 
to preach to the Ninevites because their wickedness was so severe that it reached his throne room. It nauseated God, and he intended to do something about it before it got worse. But Jonah immediately thinks, I don't want to go and preach to them. So he gets the first ticket out of Dodge, and he boards a ship, and he sets sail for a city that is completely in the opposite direction. It's like your boss telling you to go to Cornwall, and you decide to go to Toronto. It's completely in the opposite direction. So on board, apparently he's so fatigued from his running and his disobedience that he falls fast asleep in the hull of the boat the first chance he gets. I wonder how many of us, myself included, that fall asleep and, uh, and fail to listen to the voice of God and what he's called us to do. But God thinks not so fast, so he sends a huge storm and it threatens to break the ship apart and every person be brought to their watery grave. So the sailors, they cry out to God for help, whether it was Asher, Baal, Zeus, Poseidon. Yeah, and of course it doesn't work. It's like the prophets of Baal that were calling down fire from heaven and it didn't work. So they think, hey, hey, there's a man. His name was Jonah. And he's on this ship somewhere. He said that he was running from his God. Maybe he's responsible for this. So the captain, of course, finds Jonah fast asleep in the hull of the boat and implores him to call upon his God. Maybe Jonah makes a half-hearted effort. The text doesn't say. So they use this practice of casting ancient lots called, I don't know if I could say it, claromancy. That's kind of, that's what the term is called. It's an ancient practice of determining the will of the gods. And we see it in the New Testament as well. And sure enough, Jonah grabs the short straw. And all eyes are on him. So they asked him, tell us. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea grow calm? Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon us. You see, Jonah at least came to his senses to know that it was his fault. And he knew what needed to be done. Throw me overboard and the storm will stop. Maybe Jonah secretly wanted this. As we see in chapter 3, so angry at God that he could die. Maybe he thought this was an easy way out. Are there times that you're so angry, so upset that you want to die? But first they make an effort not to turf him into the water, but hope was wearing thin. Heather made a good point and wondered why Jonah just didn't run and jump overboard himself. Why did he ask the sailors to throw him over? Maybe he didn't have the courage to do it himself. 
Then they cried to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man because you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and of course the raging sea grew calm. And the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And as for Jonah, God sent a big fish to swallow him up. And that's where the chapter ends. So what's the problem here? Well, Jonah was not willing to listen to God, so he ran. Maybe he was in the temple getting his instructions and hoping that the Lord wouldn't speak to him. Maybe he thought, sure, if the Lord's going to give me assignment, just let it not be ancient Nineveh. I hate those people. Maybe Jonah had a grandfather or father who was killed in a war with the Ninevites. Maybe he heard about their unusual cruelty and, and thought, I don't want God to have compassion on them. The Ninevites were part of the Assyrian nation, and they were Israel's arch enemies. And Jonah didn't want to speak God's love and compassion because he knew that if he speaks God's judgment towards them, he knew that God's mercy and his compassion follow closely behind. We can contrast this with the prophet Isaiah, who said, when God said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. It's quite a contrast with Jonah. But I think more often than not, I can be a Jonah. I think Jonah was in that group of people where Jesus say they are ever hearing but they're never listening. They're forever seen, but they're not understanding. You see, Jonah didn't even pretend not to listen. He deliberately ran in the opposite direction. You see, obedience is an act of faith. Disobedience results in unbelief. And Jonah's disobedience led to his unwillingness to see the depths of God's mercy for a people he hated. Jonah knew that God was full of love and compassion, but he didn't want this love and compassion to extend to his own enemies. So he ran in order to push God's voice down, and he ran so he wouldn't have to follow God's purpose, which was simply to go and preach to a people who didn't know their right hand from their left hand. See, the disobedience in this chapter really had to do with the children of God, namely Jonah, who was God's servant. But we too are children of God, and we often have a disobedience problem. I know that I do. We run from God. We too often allow many things to drown out God's voice. Substances of all kinds, pleasures outside of God's boundaries. Keeping too busy with work, sleeping too much and not exercising, which causes us to be lethargic and maybe not our best self. Too much Netflix and social media. Anything to keep us distracted from following after God and obeying what He tells us to do. And in a sense, this is all really an act of defiance against God 
in many small ways. Just as Jonah did by sleeping in the hull of that boat or getting on that boat and then falling asleep. Many simply stay in a self state of self-pity. I know that was me for many, many years, thinking that no one loves them, even God has forgotten all about me. And all these things, they just numb us from how much God really loves us and his desire to speak to us and through us to help other people realize his love for them. Those who feel so hopeless, who are deep in their sin and misery. Yes, God wants to show compassion and mercy on them too. And he often wants to do it through us. You see, the non-Christian appears, and also the Christian, appears to be motivated to run from God. We all have a bent to turn from God. We want what we want. We want to be comfortable. And we want to be left alone. But the other lesson that is troubling in this text is that God often allows others to be affected by our disobedience and our sinfulness. You see, the sailors almost lost their lives because of Jonah's refusal to listen to God. We all know that sin does have consequences, and more often than not, it affects those around us, even for generations to come. Think of alcoholism, anger, adultery, selfishness of all kinds. The list is endless. Just think of when you throw a stone in the water and you have those circles. They just grow larger and larger. Sin affects more than just the person committing it. So are we running from God like Jonah did? Are we not trusting him to know what's best for us? Do we continue to be disobedient and run to sin in order to numb his voice and to fill the void? And who could we be indirectly or directly harming because of our disobedience? Just think of the funeral that uh, happened a couple weeks ago. And it's such a chaotic mess, but really, you know, sin has consequences. And a little boy had to die in the fire because of sin's consequences because of neglect and sometimes our sin causes a little bit of trouble oftentimes it causes people innocent people having to die but really the biggest issue is not all these other things like neglect and alcoholism and all that kind of stuff but it's pride C.S. Lewis says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. On chastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites, Lewis says, in comparison. It was through the devil. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice, and it's the complete anti-God state of mind. I think Jonah had some pride issues. I think he knew better than God what those people needed. They needed judgment, not mercy and compassion. So forget about listening to the God of all creation, says Jonah. 
the one who even holds my destiny in his hands, I'll just go run and hide. But the marvelous truth was that the Lord would not let Jonah run and rest. The lifeboat from God for Jonah was actually the storm and the big fish that swallowed him up. Think about it. Without the storm, Jonah never would have testified to these sailors about who his God was. Pain and suffering have a way of revealing what is really in us. As Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. You see, Jonah still knew that his identity was as a child of the king of all creation. He knew who his creator was. But without this storm, these non-believers never would have had a chance to see God at work. God does work through our misery and our sin and our pain. And now those sailors had a testimony. And there's much evidence in the Bible that even God works, even that God does work through our evil, our calamity, or our suffering to bring about good and use it for his own purposes. Think about God allowing Satan to test Job. Or the story of Joseph, who in the end, Joseph finally realized what you meant for evil, he says to his brothers, God turned it for good. And that had nothing to do with Joseph's disobedience even. Certainly his brothers. Likely we'll never really understand what's on this side of the veil and why God allows negative circumstances to happen. How we can use the work of even the devil to turn it around for his glory. But it may be best that we don't know the full scope of what God's doing. And I read this just today in Oswald Chambers. He said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? God says to the angel when he was meeting with Abraham. You see, what God hides from us, when God hides from us what he does, or sorry, God has to hide from us what he does until due to the growth of our personal character, we get to the level where he is then able to reveal it. And God can't give us the full scope of his plan until often after the fact, until after we go through that pain and suffering, until we go through that trial. But we have to make sure it doesn't allow us to get bitter, but make sure it allows us to get better. And so God can bring others to faith even through our disobedience and our sin. It's not his best way, it's not his preferred way, but he'll do whatever it takes. But we certainly should never be disobedient simply in the hopes that we can show grace to other people. Paul says, may it never be so. Yet because God is all-powerful and cares so much for us and humanity in general and his image bearers, he can do what he wants. He can use physical storms. Look at the case of Jonah, Pharaoh, and the plagues. Storms of circumstance. And internal storms, the lack of peace and purpose for good. Here are the pagan sailors, 
Jonah, call on your God. Maybe he will relent and stop this storm. You see, they see his power displayed after they toss Jonah over the side of the boat and into those cold, stormy waters full of predators. See, often non-Christians, if you pay attention, have a keener awareness of what God is doing than nominal Christians, I find. We can learn a lot from unbelievers, and we can see how God is working even behind the scenes, trying to gently bring them along. True, the story doesn't follow the sailors, but we know that even in the Old Testament, God's intention was to use the people of Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. The book of Isaiah has many passages that speak to this. God not only wanted Jonah to preach his power and his goodness to the Ninevites, but he also wanted to bring glory to himself along the way. And he did that through the sailors. God used Jonah's disobedience to bring himself glory. Second, you have the miracle of the whale. God even gives Jonah a second chance by sending a whale to rescue him from drowning, even though Jonah deserved to die. Yeah, he lets Jonah sweat a little bit in the belly of that fish. Waits till he surrenders to completely give his life over to God by crying out to him in prayer. You see, he too is so patient with us, giving us many chances in this life to come back to him, to listen, to be obedient. It most likely is always in a way that we least expect. You see, I think Jonah was not having a whale of a good time in the belly of that fish. But God is present even in the uttermost parts of the sea. For Jonah, escape was impossible. And for us, escape from God is impossible. You see that with the disciples out on the stormy sea and they thought they were going to die. And after Jesus calmed the storm, they said, Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So how does this story apply to us today? I've read story after story of people who have come to know Jesus through the storms in their life. Whether direct from direct disobedience, or just simply living in a sinful world. Sometimes it has to get so bad that one completely loses hope in themselves and in the world. The sailors had no more hope. Jonah was a goner. But God was present even in the uttermost parts of the sea. And in these depths is where he can often get our attention. Hear what C.S. Lewis says in The Problem of Pain. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And no doubt that pain is God's megaphone. That pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument and it may lead to final and unrepentant rebellion. But it gives the only opportunity for a bad man that a bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. 
I talked to a, a former penitentiary inmate just several weeks ago who finally heard God's voice when he was at his lowest. He was, he was behind bars. He was in a prison cell. He, he deserved it. He deserved to be there. But that's where he found God. And we've heard that case many times. Chuck Colson, prison ministry. He had his biggest impact in that jail cell. Another friend of mine that I do youth ministry with, his grandfather fought in World War II. And before they went to uh, the war, they had a tent set up, an evangelistic tent. And he went in there to hear the gospel, but he, he refused to, to really listen. He wasn't interested. So on the battlefield, as he was, the tanks, the German tanks were coming, he obviously jumped in what they call a foxhole. And the German tanks were coming, and he knew he was going to be a goner. If he stood up to try to run, he would have been shot. If he stayed there, they would have found him. But in his heart, he cried out to God, Lord, save me. And for him that day, the tanks stopped. They turned around and went in the opposite direction. And that experience led to his saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I realize that not everyone has that particular circumstance it's going to be different for most of us. Just think of Paul in 2 Corinthians 1. We were under great pressure, far beyond anything to endure, that we despised of even life itself. Indeed, we had felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who can even raise the dead. He's delivered us from this deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. <clears throat> Unlike Jonah, Paul was obedient, but in his soul he thought he was a goner. But God was there, and it resulted in him building a greater spiritual muscle in trusting God, to preach to others what Jesus can do. Paul's life was a living testimony. I don't know if this is God's preferred method of bringing people to salvation, but it seems to happen most of the time. But even through Jonah, his purposes still prevailed. You see, God, God is not safe, but He is good. In Lewis's fiction book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Susan says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. You see, it won't be safe. We may have to endure some hardships along the way, but the best place to be is in the center of His will. You see, if you're praying for others who are struggling spiritually and are really struggling with things in their life, death, cancer, loss of a job, addiction, sin, whatever, sometimes don't be too quick to pray that God alleviates their suffering. Pray that God will use their present suffering 
to draw them or even others around them to the cross of Jesus Christ, to a deeper trust. Pray that God will use those circumstances to bring him glory by transforming that person. As with the sailors and with Jonah and with so many others, it appears that Jesus most often uses the storms and the negative circumstances in our life, in the lives of others, to get our attention and to show us that he is in control. We just need to be receptive in hearing and walking in obedience. We will fail, but there is forgiveness. God will keep pursuing us, challenging us, loving us, and giving us second, third, fourth chances. You see, God is not safe, but he is good. You think Jesus was safe in the hands of his persecutors or on that Roman cross? No, he wasn't safe. But as he hung on that cross, he was in the center of his Father's will. So if you yourself feel like you're struggling with some disobedience of some kind in your life, or if you know someone who's struggling and you're praying for them, then we're going to surrender this to our Heavenly Father. If you're feeling some discomfort or anxiety, then this could possibly be why. I really don't know, but God does. This is our opportunity to do business with Jesus. If you're running from Jesus, or if you're praying for people who are running from Jesus, as Jonah did. I just want us to take a moment and bow our heads and just pray this prayer with me as we conclude. Heavenly Father, how deep is your love for us? So deep, in fact, that you sent your only Son, Jesus, to die in my place, to spill his own precious blood, so that I can be right with you. Lord, I confess, I am continuing to run from you like Jonah, using, and you could Name that thing in your life right now. Using this sin to numb your voice, to suppress the Holy Spirit in my heart. Give me power to stop and to once again turn my heart toward the crucified Jesus. Finally, bring someone into my life to pray with me, to encourage me, and to hold me accountable. Put someone in my life that I can pray with, encourage, and hold accountable, and to love, and to show mercy and compassion on. Because I know that you, Father, will show yourself faithful and good as I walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.